Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, asking for your help during this Lenten and Easter season. Support from our listeners is vital and allows us to bring you and many others high-quality spiritual programs like the one you are listening to now. It also assists us in our outreach to areas around the globe, touching literally millions of souls via the World Wide Web. Our highly rated free Discerning Hearts app allows you to access over a thousand audio files as well as video content now available on our expanding YouTube channel. We've been able to offer online spiritual seminar retreats with Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essef, and Deacon James Keating. The heart of our mission is to help foster authentic spiritual formation for the seeking soul so they can fully encounter the living Christ and share in his mission of healing hearts and spreading the good news to the world. Please, won't you help us to continue this important work of evangelization by donating today to DiscerningHearts.com. DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents Struggles in the Spiritual Life, their nature and their remedies was Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is the author of many best-selling books on the theology and spirituality of St. Ignatius of Loyola. He holds the St. Ignatius Chair of Spiritual Formation at St. John Theological Seminary in Denver, Colorado. Struggles in the Spiritual Life, Their Nature and Their Remedies with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Father Gallagher, over the series of conversations that we've had, we've been breaking open a spiritual desolation, the non-spiritual desolation that can affect our prayer, but also, again, spiritual desolation. And we have been so blessed with your teachings over uh, so many years, not only in your published works, but in the podcasts that we've done. And I would be remiss in not directing our listeners to the whole series that you've done on spiritual desolation to kind of accompany those who are trying in prayer to just to be aware, to understand, and to take action. It's, it's not necessarily something that's so easy that all of a sudden I just know it. It has so many different layers, doesn't it? It's a formation for sure. And it's the difference between living the spiritual life with all of this happening, consolation, desolation, all of these different things, but not really being aware of it and certainly not understanding a lot of it, and a spiritual life in which all of this is happening and that's normal in a healthy spiritual life. Now we have eyes to see it and we're able to name it. This is the action of the good spirit and I open my heart to it. I'm strengthened by it. And these are the discouraging lies of the enemy. And I firmly reject them. So it's really about formation in the spiritual life. And I may be repeating myself here, but after so many years and decades now of dealing with this, I think in a unique way, uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola does give us that formation. It's simple. It's clear. It's real. It's short. It's practical, it's usable, and it makes all the difference. Well, and I have found, too, that it's practical, it's usable, but it also honors and reverence the tenderness of the human heart. It's an area of feelings. And if it were just a dogmatically presented and said, here here are rules. We've heard that word, but it's 
It's so much more than that, so much fuller than all of that. It's about divine communication, divine communion between, as you pointed out, that St. John Newman, heart is speaking to heart. And that's the area of, of tenderness and of, as I said before, feeling. It's like, like all the writings of the saints, what Ignatius is doing here reflects the way things really are. And uh, what he's doing here is simply a channel for grasping, experiencing, and living a relationship with God the way God really is. And it's a God who loves his people so much that no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, he wants to get as close as he can to them, to be with them so much so that he takes our own humanity. Uh, so that's, that's the God that we approach. This is all suffused with love, with reverence for the human heart. I will repeat this because I think it's so important that you can go through the whole of the Gospels and look at every relationship of Jesus with any person he encounters. The one exception is those who are heart of heart and hypocritical and are presenting something that is not really uh, what's in their hearts and simply trying to trip him up and so forth. In those, in those cases, Jesus can be very strong. But when people come to him with goodwill, whether with broken bodies or broken hearts or broken lives, without exception, his response is always very sensitive, very attuned to the person before him. He'll meet the person right where that person is. He'll respond right in the way the, that person needs. As I said, without ever bulldozing into human hearts with patience and gentleness until the person walks through a journey of healing and then things can change. So that that's the only way we can speak about even in the teaching of St. Ignatius because that's the God whom Ignatius is describing in these rules and whose way of working with us is uh, described to us in this teaching. There are other aspects of the book you've touched upon. The, the reader will find it, your teachings or through these characters on St. John's dark nights, as they have been termed. And as I said before, you've addressed that in such a full format through the Spiritual Desolation series that you did for Discerning Hearts and in your writings, Setting Captives Free, that I think if somebody who is looking to have that more fully illuminated can find a rich wealth of teachings there. Yes, and that's why we don't need to repeat it here. In the book, the final chapters do deal with that. But as you say, Chris, we have talked about it elsewhere, so I don't think we really need to repeat that here. Well, I'll just add a few thoughts uh, as we conclude this series. And as I was thinking about this, actually just yesterday, something came to my mind, so I'll, I'll share it. I was ordained in uh, just outside of Rome at the Marian shrine that my community has. Shortly after ordination, there were six of us ordained, and we were all departing for our various places of priestly ministry to where we'd been assigned, and that was in various countries for some of us. But just a few days after ordination, I was asked by the superior to fill in for two weeks for one of our priests who just needed his uh, vacation time in the summer. And this was on a small island in the Mediterranean, Pantelleria, 
And there may be eight to 10,000 people that uh, live on this island on a clear day in Sinside of Africa. And there are three churches there. And at this time, my community served all of those churches on this island. And uh, there was the, the center with the main town where the largest church was, and the other two were smaller, kind of outlying churches. And so um, that's where I began many of the sacraments, you know, as a priest, my first confession and so forth. And then one of the Sundays when I was there, after the masses in the main church, so this would have been around maybe one o'clock, I uh, got into one of these little Italian cars and drove maybe 15 minutes or so up into the hilly area where one of these other churches was. It was still under construction, but enough of it was built so that it could function already as a church. And there were baptisms to do there. And I still remember pulling into the parking area and the church was locked. And so the people were waiting outside, maybe 50 people or so. And I remember shutting off the, uh, the car and looking over and there was the thought, you know, well, there isn't any more seminary rector or professor or formators. It's just you now. I went over and uh, did the baptisms. And about a week later, I was back up in Rome. And one of my classmates was still there. He would be leaving shortly, but uh, he had not left yet. And I, just in conversation, I just shared with him that experience, you know, of sitting in the car and looking over there at the people. And he asked me, well, what did you say to the people? And I said, well, I was that I was happy to be there on this joyful occasion. And not at all cynically, but just thoughtfully, he said, yeah, I suppose now that we're priests, we'll have to say things like that. And I, don't, I didn't show it to him, but that touched something in me. And after that conversation, I found myself wondering, well, yeah, why, why did I say that? Did I say that just because I thought that was the kind of thing that needs to be said in a situation like that? Did I say it because I really meant it and knew what I was saying? And I found myself resolving then that I would not speak that way. I would not speak of joy unless I really knew what I meant and unless I really meant to say it. And that led me on a search, reading here, there, looking here, there. What do we mean by joy when we speak of it as Christians? What are we really saying? What is it? And uh, eventually I came across a really lovely document by St. Paul VI, which is uh, more forgotten than it should be. Gaudete in Domino, so on Christian joy, his apostolic exhortation on Christian joy, 1975. And in this short document, he does explore this issue. And the, the real heart of it is the following, and this is where I found my answer that I've kept in my heart ever since. So Paul VI says, on a very basic level, it would be even cynical to speak of joy to people whose basic material needs have not been met. So housing, food, shelter, clothing. And out of this comes the church's effort to supply these things to the poor as best she is able. We'll return to Struggles in the Spiritual Life, Their Nature and Their Remedies with Father Timothy Gallagher. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, 
prayers, and more, go to DiscerningHearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. A prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. We now return to Struggles in the Spiritual Life, Their Nature and Their Remedies, with Father Timothy Gallagher. And then he says there is another level of what we call the many natural joys that God has built into his creation and intense that we experience and enjoy. So the joy of family, of Christ-centered love between a man and a woman, of friendship, of a job well done, joy in nature, and so forth. And there there is a, a wide range of these natural joys that Christianity not only does not looked down upon in some way, but esteems highly and raises to a new level with the grace of God. And he also says that these joys are too little known in the world and they need to be taught. But finally, he says, even if a person had all of these natural joys and all the natural material needs were met, still that would not be enough. And beyond that is the real deepest heart of joy what he calls spiritual joy, and I'll read is the sentence in which he explains what he means by spiritual joy. Spiritual joy consists in the human spirit's finding repose and a deep satisfaction in the possession of the triune God, known by faith and loved with the charity that comes from him. Which is to say that the deepest joy where our hearts really find full rest and repose and peace and satisfaction arises in the possession of the triune God, which is given to us in baptism. And we try to live throughout all the years of our lives and unto eternity. A God whom we know by faith and whom we love with a power to love that is not human, but is superhuman, is supernatural. And that is the infusion of grace that we call the virtue of charity. When we possess God, and we are in communion with God through faith and that power of love that God has given us, that's when the human heart, to use Augustine's classic words, is no longer restless, 
but rests in thee. Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And there I said to myself, I have my answer now. Now I know what I mean when I'm speaking of joy. And really at the heart of our living the Christian life is the experience of that joy. Knowing that that joy exists and living in such a way that our hearts are ever more open to it. And it's in that setting that the struggles we've been talking about find their meaning. They are along the way toward what really matters, and this is that spiritual joy. Now, when Paul VI turns to Jesus, he exemplifies this even more in detail. At one point, he speaks of what he calls the secret of the unfathomable joy that dwells in Jesus. What is that secret? Why is there such joy in Jesus' heart? I have said these things to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. And he writes, If Jesus radiates such peace, such assurance, such happiness, such availability, it is by reason of the inexpressible love by which he knows he is loved by his Father. And then he goes on to exemplify this. At the baptism in the Jordan, the verse that we've just been quoting, he hears from the Father, you are my beloved Son, in you I take delight. There is with him a presence that never leaves him alone. I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And this is one of the really beautiful things that has struck me. You see this repeatedly in the Gospel of John, that Jesus will say this, I am not alone for the Father is with me. And I think that's maybe most deeply what every human heart wants, is to know that that I am not alone, but that there is another who is with me. Uh, The Pope speaks of the intimate knowledge that fills him. The Father knows me, and I know the Father. How much our hearts suffer when we have the sense no one understands, and how much our hearts rejoice when we know that we are understood, that we are really known in the truth of who we are, and all of these are, are, are the roots of this unfathomable joy that is always in the heart of Jesus. An unceasing and total exchange. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And finally, a mutual indwelling. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And the Pope then says this, And the disciples and all those who believe in Christ are called to share this joy. That's why this whole journey matters. It's why we walk it. Jesus wishes them to have in themselves his joy in all its fullness. I have made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and that I may be in them. I'm going to turn now to St. Therese and just going to quote a couple sentences from a letter that she wrote. This is a letter to a childhood playmate of hers who was Celine Maudelonde. Now, the Martin family, they were cousins with the Guerin family in Lisieux. And so the, the girls knew each other and, of course, um, shared an awful lot of life together. But their aunt had a sister who was married to this um, Mr. Modelond, and they had three daughters. And uh, you have this lovely letter where Pauline, as a young girl, starts calling the Modelond girls cousins, and and they say, well, they're not really your cousins. And she says, well, if the Garan girls are our cousins, and they are cousins with the Modelond girls, then we're their cousins. And so 
That's how they would speak of them. But they were childhood playmates, and one of these three was this young girl, Celine, who was the same age as Therese, and they played together as children. At this point, Therese is in the Carmel. It's uh, three years before her death, and she is reaching the real height of her sanctity in these years. And Celine has married, and she is writing just about three and a half weeks after Celine is married. She writes, Your letter gave me real joy. I marvel at how the Blessed Virgin is pleased to answer all your desires. This is that amazing quality in Therese that she's so other-centered all the time. Even before your marriage, she willed that the soul to whom you were to be joined form only one with yours by means of an identity of feelings. What a grace for you to feel you are so well understood. And above all, to know that your union will be everlasting, that after this life you will still be able to love the husband who is so dear to you. And then she says this, They have passed away then for us both, the blessed days of our childhood. We are now at the serious stage of life. The road we are following is different. However, the goal is the same. Both of us must have only one same purpose, to become holy in the way God has traced out for us. And we are at the serious stage of life. And that is the one same purpose that we all need to have and should have and want to have, to become holy in the vocation to which God has called us. That's why we walk this spiritual journey. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so helpful to understand the nature of the struggles that may arise from time to time, so that being aware of them and able to understand them and knowing their remedies, they'll never, hin- they'll never hinder us on that walk towards sanctity in our lives. And I'll conclude with this also from St. Therese. It's three years later now. This is August 8th, 1897. So it's the month before her death. She'll die at the end of September, September 30th of that year. And Therese is on her sickbed. Her sister Pauline is with her in the room. And as they are together, now Pauline writes all this down, Therese begins to reflect back over her life. And she thinks back to that decisive moment on Christmas when she was 14, when some courage and with God's grace, she was able to put behind her those long years, almost 10 years of nervousness and tears and sensitivity that began when her mother died at when she was four years old. And that was the beginning. She calls that the, her night of light when she began, as she says, I began my giant's course. Then she begins to reflect on Judith and the courage of Judith in the face of the enemy and the heroic deed that she does with courage. And that leads her to say this, God never refuses that first grace that gives one the courage to act. Afterwards, the heart is strengthened and one advances from victory to victory. God never refuses that first grace that gives one the courage to act. Afterward, the heart is strengthened and one advances from victory to victory. So that's the final word. God is giving you all the grace that you need to take that first step. Or if you've already taken that, to take the next step. Begin. Sure that you have all the grace that you need to walk this journey. And sure also that each step that you take prepares for you the grace to take the next and the next step. 
And that's my prayer, that God bless all of us to go forward with this kind of hope and courage on the spiritual journey. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Gallagher. It's been my privilege. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to Struggles in the Spiritual Life, Their Nature and Their Remedies with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. Or you can find it in the free Discerning Hearts app. You can also view the video of this presentation by visiting the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Struggles in the Spiritual Life, Their Nature and Their Remedies with Father Timothy Gallagher.